All right, welcome back to the Fazlifts podcast. And today's topic is it gets easier. So I've maintained my weight now for God, how's it? How long has it been? Six months, I think. You guys might recall I did the diet series where I was doing an extreme cut and I was coming down from around 86 to 88 kilos. And the idea was to do an extreme cut, do it for maybe six to eight weeks, and then wham, just settle down there. And so that's what I did. <laughs> and the, I, I chronicle the cut in uh, the diet series. And so feel free to check that out if you're interested in what I did and my thought process behind that. And uh, that's the kind of cut that I, I definitely believe in. I think it's a very useful way to do things. And since then, I've basically maintained my weight. And um, it's really given a lot of credence to the idea that in my mind, um, you can do an extreme cut and you don't have to blow up afterwards, assuming you do it correctly. And in fact, there's quite a lot of benefits to that. So um, the point of today is to help you guys to figure out how to go about eating at maintenance. Because right now I've maintained my weight for so long and pretty much effortlessly. At, I mean, I'm not gonna lie, at the beginning, there was, I had to instill a certain amount of discipline to carry on eating in a way which was congruent to my goals, which was going to help my goals. But now it's like, I like that way of eating. You know, I just eat like that because I like it. It's tasty. It fills me up. It makes sense to me. It's convenient. And it's literally my, in all sense of the word, in all sense of the phrase, it's my diet. And I don't feel like I'm on a quote unquote diet. I just feel like this is the way that I eat. This is what I do. This makes me feel good. This keeps my health in check. This is tasty. Everything alongside it. This also offers a degree of flexibility when I need it. And I'm going to cover all those things. So I want to help you guys get into the point where I'm at now, where things are just effortless and you can maintain a relatively lean body just effortlessly. And um, I released a, a picture on my Instagram showing me in pretty decent nick, you know, this is what I wanted for my 40s. I think I'm in striking distance for if I wanted to do a 16-week prep for a bodybuilding show, I could do. And that was always the goal. The goal was to be able to hold on to a level of leanness, which is manageable and is easy. And if I can do that, then that means when I really want to push the pedal to the metal, I can go down even further. And that's that was always the key. Because I think um, it takes a while for, to, for you to settle at a certain body fat percentage. And I think when people, where people really mess it up is, they really mess it up by going on a diet and then blowing back up again afterwards. So they regain so much fat so rapidly, they lose any semblance of enjoyment at that low body fat, but also the body has got no way of actually settling at that weight point because it is just, it completely blows back up afterwards. So it's nice to be able to just sit there for a while, like I have done for months. Now that stage, it's, it's quite easy, it's quite effortless. So, and I think the second thing is people have unrealistic expectations. So you don't, you're not going to be sitting at 10%, a true 10% body fat year round. That just doesn't really happen. Um, 10% is very, very lean. Um, but, you know, you can sit at a true 15% year round. I believe I can get leaner and sit, sit at a leaner body weight uh, year round. I believe I can. But I think firstly, I'm going to take some time to rebuild some muscle um, that I lost during lockdown. So, yeah. I will do another cut at some point, but I need to dissipate some diet fatigue first. So anyway, let's get on with helping. 
So uh, firstly, I think the big thing to do is let's start with finding things that you can eat which are filling and finding meals which are filling. So I've said both there, meals and things that you can eat. So I say things that you can eat because it's sort of like a combination of the meal. So I'll give you, I'll give you what I generally eat on a daily basis. Let's start from there because I think that's a pretty good place to start. So one of the meals that I have is a large plate of vegetables, uh, legumes, and some meat. And I've experimented with that over the over the months, and I've settled down to a formula where I usually have about one part fibrous vegetables, one part potatoes, usually mashed, one part legumes, and then one part meat. I wouldn't say they're roughly equal. I would say the meat is the smallest portion, probably 20%, 15% or so. Um, the fibrous veg and potatoes are the larger portions, probably about 30% each, and the legumes is whatever's left over. So that's roughly describes my plate. Now, I'm saying that in fairly broad terms because I like to mix and match. So I prep in batches. So I'll get some, firstly, I'll get, let's start with the veg, the fibrous veg. I'll pretty much always have a large portion of fibrous veg. Now for me, most of the time that includes cauliflower rice. Now I know there's all these memes about cauliflower rice and how it ruins your relationship with life, but yeah, I mean, they're funny and everything, but uh, it's, you know, it, this cauliflower rice, I personally like the flavor. It tastes good. And so I start with that. And then with that, I'll have usually a portion of some other kind of veg, either mixed veg, sweet corn, garden peas, carrots. And these are straight from the freezer. So I don't need to pre-cook these. And they go into my bowl and they go into the microwave. Now, in addition to that, I'll have another portion of potatoes. These are mashed potatoes. And uh, the mashed potatoes are great because I make them in bulk. I can, I can literally make about seven kilos worth of potatoes in about an hour. It's great. So I'll just boil the potatoes, take them out, uh, put them into another container, boil the other three and a half kilos of potatoes, take them out, and then mash them all. And I've got my like 32 portions of potatoes. It's great. So second thing on my plate is a large portion of mashed potatoes, about 225 grams if you want to know the amounts. So that adds up half the plate with mashed potatoes, half the plate with fibrous veg. And I always start with that base. And then on top of the veg, I put my legumes. Now I rotate between chickpeas, kidney beans, black beans, green lentils, red lentils, and really anything else I can get my hands on, which are legumes, beans, that kind of thing. And then on top of the potatoes, I add in a meat sauce. At, at the moment, it's been um, pork loin, which I, I love pork loin, it's great. Um, I quite like it because it's a little bit saltier, it's a little bit fattier, and so that adds an unusual flavor to my day. Like if I had chicken, I think it would be a little bit too bland, and I have done a curried chicken before, but it's, it's, it, is, it ends up being a little bit too bland. So I tend to stray away from that. I like the pork because it's, it's a bit fattier, it's a bit meatier. Um, sounds weird, I know, but there you go. So that's one of the meals that I eat, and it's I usually have that a couple of times a day. But really, it's a it's not a standardized meal. Everything in it could be different. Like meal to meal, it could be different. I just pick out whatever's prepped, and it usually I'll double up on things. So I might have beans and lentils with one. I might have like cauliflower rice and sweet corn and peas with another. You know, different types of things. The only thing that really remains constant is the pork loin. That's there all the time. So. Um, that's the one meal. Now, in total, that's about, it weighs about, I think I weighed it in at 600 grams, which is quite a hefty meal. It's about a pound of food. 
And uh, in terms of the calories, it's about six, 650, I think, 600, 650 calories, from what I remember, and about 50 grams of protein. So it's a good hearty meal. It's the kind of thing which is going to keep you full for a long time. Like a 600-gram meal is a lot of food in your stomach, and it's a ton of fiber. So that's the first thing I eat on a regular basis. Now, and I, as I say, I'll normally have that a couple of times a day. Those are big meals. Um, some days I don't really want much more than that. So that's generally what I start with. Now, the other meal that I have on a regular basis is, um, and that, so let me just finish off on that meal first. So that meal has been a constant the whole time and I've not really had to mess with it too much because it just works. So I, I sort of started to put that together and it just, it just works. Like I don't need to add anything. I don't need to take anything away. It works for its purpose. It's very filling and it's fairly high in protein, very, very low in fat and it's high in carbs and high in fiber. So it does the job. Now, breakfast is, is an area where I've kind of struggled with in the past. And I've gone through a number of different iterations of what I should have during breakfast. One of the things which works very well, and I did this during the cut, was literally just to have a protein shake or have um, a, a, couple of, a couple of portions of, a couple of scoops of whey in a little bit of water with like maybe three or four blueberries. That's it, you know, just as little, as lean as that. The reason that worked is it didn't seem to spike my appetite. In fact, it, very, it seemed to be very appetite suppressing, which was nice. And I'm going to talk about this quite a lot during the course of this podcast is the, the balance between appetite suppressing and appetite stimulating foods and, and how you've got to kind of find that balance when you're, depending on when you're, whether you're cutting or whether you're just trying to maintain or whether you're bulking. So I found that breakfast very, very good for appetite suppression. However, it's not the best breakfast if you are actually maintaining your weight because there's not enough calories in it. So if I wanted to cut, I would go back to that. It's also a bit more miserable than a regular breakfast. Like it's not, it's not a delicious breakfast, you know, like you would want to start off your day with for the rest of your life kind of thing. So the breakfast I have now is overnight oats and I love my overnight oats. It's again, it's one of my favorite meals. <laughs> I always look forward to having it in the morning. It's great. Um, and I love that about my diet. It's like I, I look forward to having the meals because they are just delicious. And that is really nice. It's a nice feeling to know that the food you're eating is delicious, it's nutritious, and also it's good for you as well. So anyway, overnight oats, here's what I do. And by the way, I will share with you a trick about overnight oats that I found to be key. So firstly, um, I got myself a big jar. So a large sort of glass kiln jar. And it holds about 500 milliliters. Now, I start off with the standard um, oats. I get steel-cut oats or pinhead oats from this bulk company that I buy off um, in Edinburgh. So I get those, and alongside that, I add in a little bit of milk, just enough to soak the oats, and I usually nowadays scoop in two scoops of whey protein because I want a lot of protein in that first hit in the morning. You know, I want it to be very appetite-suppressing. So a lot of oats and then a lot of whey. Now, I will say at this point, I have tried to have heated oats and whey before, or heated oats and egg whites. They're not that filling. You know, if you just have that with maybe a sprinkle full of blueberries and stuff, I found that to be quite appetite stimulating, even though it's what you hear of as a quote unquote, good, healthy breakfast for um, bodybuilding. I found it to be very appetite stimulating. So I got rid of it quite quickly. I persisted with it for a while, but I realized this is not working. So um, now, so nowadays, yeah, the overnight oats, get back to that. So far, we've got um, pinhead oats raw, 
and I put them in the night before, obviously. A little bit of milk, two scoops away. I usually use salted caramel because it's quite neutral in flavor. And now here's where it gets fun. I shake all that up and then I go to the freezer and I get some fruit. So this could be like a ton of raspberries, blueberries, um, pomegranate seeds, blackberries. Usually totals about 300 grams of that. I don't really weigh it out, but if I were to guess, it's about three to 400 grams of that. And now that's not enough, right? The key is this, two apples, chop them up, right? Whole apples, chop them up and then shove them in with the, um, with the overnight oats. That is the key. So I guess the key, if there is one, is just <laughs> far more than you think would reasonable amount of fruit. Like way more than you would normally think were actually acceptable for breakfast in terms of fruit. That is the real key because I was looking for a way to pad the breakfast out without adding a lot of calories. And if I can pad the breakfast out, that means I'm just going to be less hungry, um, you know, later down the road. So like in, in the day, once I have this breakfast in the day, I'm not hungry again for like a good few hours. So breakfast is always a bit of a problem and I can either go the really low calorie, just protein route or... I can go this route, which is just insanely full of fruit, and it is so filling. And it's, it's great because you'll literally be taking a bite of really juicy, um, sort of water-soaked or liquid-soaked apples in every single bite. It is great. Like it tastes delicious, so fresh in the mornings. So that's my uh, other meal of the day, which is definitely a consistent. And again, I mix that up as well because um, the, one, the things that remain consistent are the, the oats, the whey and the milk, but I mix it up in terms of fruit. Um, and I, I mix it. I, I have got a ton of variety of different um, frozen fruit, so I add in different things. Um, uh, the apples are fairly consistent, so but I, I might experiment with pears as well and various other bits and bobs. I've actually had pineapple in there too, which tastes pretty good. The only thing I had in there which didn't taste so great was mango. Um, so I imagine bananas probably wouldn't taste that, taste that great either because I think they lose their structure and they, they tend to get quite soft. So that's my breakfast. And again, it's it's almost like it's a template basically. So um, you have quite a lot of variety within that to enable you to you know mix things up. So, so far I've covered about three of the meals that I have per day. Now, there's a breakfast, another meal, and possibly another one which is a repeat of the main meal. Now the other thing I have, which is also again, really useful and really good, is I will have a roughly 500 gram bowl of fruit and it's normally all the frozen fruit that I've got in the freezer. So I will literally just pour out a whole bunch of random stuff. So it might be pineapple, mango, blackberries, raspberries, pomegranate seeds. And I'll just total up about, I'll just fill the entire plate and it usually ends up to be about 500 grams. And I'll have that with a double scoop of whey protein, which I normally, um, I normally put into a separate box or separate plate. And I mix it, I say box because I, I use the, I put the whey into container boxes and I put the fruit into a bowl. And I can mix it up with a little bit of water to form a paste and I just eat the paste. So it gives me again a really filling meal. Now it's rare that I have all of those in one day because if I have the breakfast and two main meals, I generally don't want much else. But I might have the breakfast, a main meal and a, the fruit. Um, and the fruit, the fruit one's quite an easy one to eat. So if I'm doing something else, like I'm working, I can have that and it's quite easy to eat alongside it. And I'll just munch my way through that over the course of, you know, a couple of hours. So yeah, those are the meals. Like, so in general, you're looking at about, I would say 1.5 to two kilos of fruit and veg, which means fiber goes way up. 
So fiber is up to a region of about 80 grams per day. I don't personally see anything wrong with that. Um, there's nothing in the literature to suggest there's anything wrong with that. It was said that in hunter-gatherer times, um, we did eat a hell of a lot of fiber, far more than the government government sort of recommendations right now of 35 grams or 30 grams, whatever it is. So I personally don't see anything wrong with it. I think there was a bit of an adjustment period in terms of bloating out. I actually quite like the bloat in a way because <laughs> I mean, it sounds weird, but it just keeps me full. Like I quite like the feelings of bloat. You know, my stomach just feels big and it feels quite filling, um, which is quite nice, really. Reminds me when I was fat. <laughs> so, so yeah, I, so I've now, those are the meals which I like to eat on. On a regular basis, I rotate those and they just work for me. Now, what I thought I would do is I would, Talk to you a little bit about things which I've tried, which haven't worked so well. And I mentioned one, which was the the breakfast um, oats. Oats heated up with egg whites or whey. Um, and I would put in like a handful of fruits in there, like maybe, you know, some berries or some whatever, cherries. You, you get the idea. You've seen this, I'm sure, on the internet. I found that to be a very appetite-stimulating breakfast. I didn't find it to be filling at all. Probably because it was about 300 calories of mostly carbs and fairly, probably not the best carbs either uh, in terms of satiation. I mean, the, the carbs are fine, but in terms of satiation. Um, so I, looking back on it, it, while everyone says it's a good bodybuilding breakfast, it didn't really work for me. I had to make those adjustments. I had to add in far more fruit than one would think is reasonable <laughs> and uh, also more whey protein. So that, that worked for me. I thought that was very, very good. So that's one thing which um, I've gotten rid of. Another thing which I've gotten rid of is I used to put together a whey mix with um, cacao nibs. I was finding that the cacao nibs, the cacao nibs were very, very Moorish. And so I ended up, what started off being a sprinkle of cacao nibs ended up being a load. And it just got to the point where it wasn't the cacao nibs in themselves because they're actually quite full of fiber and they're actually quite good for you. But the problem was the cacao nibs were potentiating my appetite. So when I got rid of them, I found actually, you know what, I'm having better appetite control without them. And that's really the key point with all these things. It's like things which you wouldn't normally consider to be quote unquote bad for you, like the oats and whey or the cacao nibs with fruit and whey. They're not bad in themselves, but they can be appetite stimulating. So when you're striking a balance between appetite stimulation versus appetite suppression, they push you over to the edge. And then you start to basically crave other things like chocolate or just more calories and all that kind of stuff. And it makes life harder. It makes life harder. So that was another thing I, I took out. Um, other thing I took out was little bits of chocolate. I was still insisting on having little bits of chocolate, like, a, like not even much, like three squares of chocolate before I went to the gym as kind of like a pre-gym pick-me-up. But you know what? I realized it wasn't, it wasn't, all it was doing was spiking my appetite again. It just wasn't worth it. So that leads me on to my other big points in the whole, it gets easier kind of context. Research around um, instilling new behaviors into you clearly show that a new behavior will stick if you make it easy to stick. Okay, that's the key point. So like if you want to say go for a jog every day, but like it's freezing cold 
and you don't have time, all that kind of stuff, and you're not willing to make time, you're probably not going to stick to jogging. Basically, with regards to learning and instilling new behaviors, it's not a case of powering through. Actually, what helps more is you've got to make the, ha the you've got to make the habit as easy to stick to as possible. That's really where the key is. So you'll notice that all I've talked about so far in this first 20 minutes of the podcast is appetite suppression versus appetite stimulation. I've not talked about the nutritional value of any of these foods. Okay. Like I don't care if, you know, someone's at home um, and they, you know, we, we've been told that oats and whey are good for you. They're, good for, they're a good bodybuilding food. For me, they stimulate my appetite. In the same way, I don't care about the health benefits of cacao nibs because in me, they stimulate my appetite. So what I want is I want a selection of foods which is not going to stimulate my appetite or stimulate cravings. That is super, super important. That is the real thing that this is all about because if you're, that I think is almost more important than, than what you eat. It's whatever you eat has got to be the right balance between appetite stimulation and appetite suppression. So a quote-unquote diet food would mean that it's far more appetite suppressing than it is appetite stimulating. And that's really what I want to drill into you guys today is finding that balance between appetite stimulation versus appetite suppression. And it answers, because it answers a lot of questions about, hey, Faz, is this any good for you? It answers a lot of those kind of questions because it's like, well, have it and be honest with yourself. Did it stimulate your appetite or did it suppress your appetite? Did it contribute to appetite stimulation or appetite suppression? And is that what you want? So it sort of eliminates because nothing is inherently good or bad. Like no one, like not no one chocolate bar is inherently going to be good or bad in itself. But what does it do to the rest of your day? So if some cacao nibs and a piece of chocolate in your, you know, your healthy breakfast bowl stimulates your appetite, then it doesn't matter that cacao nibs or chocolate or whatever is good for you in moderation. It's bad for you overall because it's going to pluck at your willpower. And the best way to instill a habit is to make it as an easy fit into you, into your day. And to make it, say that again, um, the best way to instill an appetite and to maintain it for long term is to make sure that the effort is as low as possible. You don't want to be fighting a new habit just to drill it into place. You want it to be as effortless as possible. So when you're trying to adopt a new healthy lifestyle, you want to, as much as possible, pick foods which are going to support your goal of being appetite suppressing and also allow you to lose weight and also obviously fit your budget and all that kind of stuff. So I've covered the um, first thing which I wanted to do, which is find meals which you find filling, giving you some examples of what I eat, removing things which find which are appetite stimulating. And yeah, I've sort of touched briefly on like treats. One of the first questions that I get asked is, well, what about treats? Like what, what's your stance on, you know, treating yourself? Because people love that question. They love talking about treats like directly before they've, you know, done any dieting. <laughs> They're like, well, what about my treat? I want to treat myself and make sure I treat on a Friday night. It's like, you can. But again, it comes back to that question. Does it contribute to appetite stimulation or does it contribute to appetite suppression? And that's really important. Now, if a treat regularly contributes to appetite stimulation, then you're literally making your life harder just for the sake of having this temporary 10 seconds of pleasure. It, 
is it worth it? Is it really that good that it's basically going to make the rest of your day harder and potentially make it harder for you to instill your habit? Most of the time, the honest answer to that question is no, it's not worth it. So that's my stance on treats. And I think that's the way that people should think about treats and treating themselves. Like, are you really treating yourself? Or are you actually just insisting on holding on to a remnant of your previous self and making life hard for yourself? Is that what you're really doing? So let's assume that you have now gotten to the point where, like me, you've got a good schedule of foods you find filling, you've removed things you find appetite stimulating. Now, every now and again, you are going to be in a situation where you are you are eating foods, which which you do, you know, which, like let's say you go out for a meal, you go out with friends. Like I went to a charity boxing match um, a few weekends ago, um, and I had a, had a pizza there, which was nice. And um, tonight I'm going out for dinner, so I'm going out to a Caribbean place for dinner. Which is nice. What I found is once you've got your daily routine sorted, the impact of meals out becomes a lot less problematic. Like I would previously find years ago, I would find that if I went out, then that's it. I would just come back home and eat everything in the house. Or like if I get takeout, then that's it. I would just get the ice cream from the freezer and finish the ice cream as well. I don't do that anymore. And it's not that I'm on some like higher plane of existence. Like it's literally because if I'm not getting these cravings on a day-to-day basis, when I do indulge myself and I do regularly still indulge myself, you know, um, in October is a very busy month for it. There's <laughs> been a lot of uh, events going on, and there are a lot of events, social events that I'll be indulging in. But over time, the impact of these meals out becomes less problematic because the day-to-day uh, meal structure is so conducive to being appetite suppressing. So every now and again, if I have a meal out, like they say, once a week at max, I'll have a meal out. It's fine. It literally has no impact on my cravings at all. All I do is I go home, go to sleep, okay? So the impact of the meals out becomes far less problematic. So I guess that kind of brings me to my, I think that's, well, before I move on, I think that's a really important point overall because people, one, people have this sort of thing that they either want to sneak in their treats however, which way they can. And to go, okay, I'm gonna have a treat once a week or even once a day. Some people are still treating themselves at the end of the day, which I think is, madness because you're just contributing to the appetite stimulation so much every single night before you go to bed um, but anyway you know i'm not judging i'm just just saying that that's a potentially one way which people are sabotaging their own diets um, the way i think about it is what is it really that worth it I, I just don't think it's worth it but anyway um so over time the impact of meals become less problematic so if you are on a set schedule where these things are happening where you're getting your, where you've you've filled up your day with foods which you find filling and appetite suppressing, and you've removed things which you, which you find appetite stimulating. If you're honest, if you've done that in an honest appraisal, these meals out become far less problematic, and in a sense, that really changes you. And that's what leads to effortless maintenance. That is what leads to effortless maintenance. But it's having that honesty with yourself, like, okay, yeah, I'm having this like slither of chocolate um, before bed because it's just nice before bed. But the reality is like. What are you doing it for? You're doing it to make yourself feel better in the moment, but you're going to just carry on with this sort of almost like crack addict relationship with the, your chocolate, with the chocolate bar. It, so it's not really helping you. Like, trust me, you will feel better if you just get off it altogether. You'll feel better without all these cravings. So it's like 
when everybody else around you is giving into their cravings because they're just trying to be nice to themselves, you be intelligent about it and get rid of your cravings altogether. Play chess, not checkers, as the phrase goes, right? Rather than giving into your cravings because you're being nice to yourself, get rid of your cravings altogether. Trust me, God, my God, guys, if you take anything from this podcast, anything from anything that I've ever taught you is take that one thing. You're not being nice to yourself by treating yourself if it stimulates your appetite so that you are constantly needing this retreat over and over on a daily basis or whatever. It's not treating you then. No one treats themselves to a little bit of crack, right? No one treats themselves to a little bit of cocaine. It's not a treat. It's an addiction. So think about it. Are you actually helping yourself or are you harming yourself? And I'm not comparing chocolate to, to crack, obviously, very, very different things. But, you know, they do light up the same pleasure centers in the brain, but they are still very different things. Um, so, but still, on a, on a more subtle basis, are you actually helping yourself or are you harming yourself? So think about it. Is a treat is such a such an odd way to phrase it because it's a very positive way to phrase it, but it might well be those treats are actually making, one, your diet harder, and two, making you miserable because you don't have the body you want or, or giving up belief that you can have the body you want because you can. Everybody can. You just need to find the right combination of foods which allow you to do that, and then slowly cut down on that over time. Like I'll, I'll, at some point when I prep for a contest, I'll be doing the same thing. And probably one of the first things to go will be my breakfast because I will probably start to go back to that very satiating breakfast that I used to have. That's the first thing I can change. It's, it's, it's a good breakfast. So are you getting the right balance between appetite stimulation and appetite suppression? Or are you insisting on having your treats and there? thereby holding on to dear life and just pure sheer willpower every day just to hold on to your diet and not like just blow everything out because if that's it then take it from me you don't have to live like that like you don't i used to live like that i don't anymore and it's a nice feeling so which brings me to my final point trigger foods you've heard the concept of trigger foods before i'm calling it into question like is there such a thing as trigger foods is it is it a real thing? Like, is it an actual, like, this piece of chocolate, this is my trigger? Or is it just the fact that it's the right combination of sugar and fat to reintroduce all of your hunger pangs? Like, people say chocolate all the time. And I've, I've said, you know, chocolate is trigger food in the past before, but I'm, I'm starting to question it. I'm not sure if there's any specific food or food type of food which is a trigger. Or maybe it's just, like, there are foods which are appetite-stimulating. There are foods which are appetite-suppressing. And some are just really high over on the appetite stimulating side of things. And those you need to avoid because they just open up the entire floodgates for everything. Like, let's say your trigger food is chocolate. Great. Like, if it's chocolate, do you, once you have like a bar of chocolate, do you have only chocolate or do you just, or if you're having like a, whatever, if you, if you go into a binge, people don't just have just that food. They tend to have like everything, donuts, the popcorn, the chocolate, everything. It just opens up the floodgates because their appetite goes crazy. So I don't know. Like I know very few people with a serious problem who when, they, when, the, when the floodgates are open, they just go after that one food. It's more like it opens the floodgates for just feed me now because their appetite just gets ramped right up because of that food. What, I, what is more common though is that most people live with a perpetually high-ish appetite which they always have to try and keep under control and stop from eating the chocolates because... They just have this, you know, ball and chain relationship with chocolate or whatever their, you know, their their particular favorite thing is. 
rather than cutting it out altogether, which is what I'm suggesting is potentially an option. Um, and as I say, I've done it with good effect. I don't have any chocolate anymore. I don't crave it. It's just something which is not part of my day. And my life is better for it. But take it from me, you know, if when I go out tonight for this Caribbean, I probably will get a dessert and I probably have some chocolate in it. But that's not going to, it's not going to matter because the rest of my week, most of my week, most of my month is set up in a way which is productive. So these small, you know, significant events where you go out and you, you enjoy dinner with a loved one, they don't make a difference in the grand scheme of things. Uh, so hopefully that audio was useful. And um, let me know uh, if you have any thoughts about this. It'd be good to hear from you guys. And I'll uh, speak to you next time.